Welcome to the Library Service Safety and Security Podcast with Dr. Steve Albrecht. I'm the very same Dr. Steve Albrecht, and this podcast is sponsored by Library 2.0 and produced by the founder of Library 2.0, Steve Harganon. My topic for this half hour goes with my podcast this week, connects to a blog that I've written about anger and conflict in the workplace involving library employees. But this time, let's flip it around and think about anger and conflict involving our interactions with library patrons. I have a lot of experience in dealing with people who are out of control emotionally. And my thoughts are guided today by a blog for Psychology Today uh, written by Dr. Andrea uh, Bonnier, be like boy, O-N-I-O-R. Dr. Andrea Bonier is a psychologist. She is posting at psychologytoday.com, the June 30th, 2021 uh, edition. The phrase uh, for her title is, five more helpful things to say other than calm down. And I think she's got a lot to say about this. I'll be quoting from her piece uh, and talking about how it relates to some of the things I have been saying in training and some of the things that I have said on this podcast and in some of the blogs that I have written about emotional control and anger and customer service and dealing with patrons who are, at the time we encounter them, losing their emotional control and our responses to that. If you've listened to my podcast and seen my webinars and attended some of my trainings, you know I talk a lot about the value and validity, I believe, of the work done by Dr. George Thompson. Thompson was the author of the book Verbal Judo, and his concept of verbal judo has been something I've been talking and teaching and and discussing as a useful set of tools for a long time. Thompson has said in his book, Verbal Judo book, that when we say to somebody, calm down, we're actually saying to them, you don't have the right to be angry in front of me. What we're saying to them is you don't have the right to be upset in front of me and and your emotions are not not appropriate for the situation. Well, how we say that through the phrase calm, calm down, oftentimes comes out as condescending, it comes out as, as dismissive, it comes out as talking down to the person. And it also comes down as saying, I don't recognize this person's emotional issues right now as being valid for them, even though they're not valid for me. So this goes back to some things that Dr. Bonnier has said in her piece, which I'd like to read from now. She says, in all my years as a psychologist specializing in anxiety and as a relentless observer of human interaction, I can't think of a single time where the words calm down, especially shouted in a voice that itself is tense, had the desired effect whether it's during an argument with your partner as a bystander to your child's tantrum or in a stressed out moment with a critical colleague, or in our case, a library patron, calm down often has exactly the opposite effect. And what she says here is the problem is with the phrase is that it often puts people on the defensive, insinuating that their reactions are the problem. This is what George Thompson has said as well. And so oftentimes we say calm down because we don't know what else to say. Sometimes we go back to kind of a a knee-jerk or a more primitive reaction to something, maybe we've been told that that's a phrase that we need to hear as a child. We've heard it before from teachers or parents or in church or in our interactions with other adults as children, and it gets sort of cemented in as kind of the go-to phrase for some people. And what she's saying is that that um, this concept of using the phrase calm down, it it doesn't help people get back to what she calls emotional equilibrium, and it's not likely to help them out by accusing them of having a, quote, inappropriate uh, reaction. Moreover, she says, it feels inherently invalidating to have someone tell you that your feelings are too big in proportion to what happened to you. Now, we all get it that people over-respond and overreact, and emotionally overreact 
in situations which are not that big of a deal. But oftentimes we sort of forget the fact that this may be the kind of the camel and the, and the straw that broke the camel's back kind of an influence. Something that is the final straw for them is something that happens at the library that started when they got up this morning, that started when they drove to the library or walked to the library or whatever. And, and some situation happens there where it just pushes their frustration buttons. So Dr. Bonnier says another problem with the command is that it gives no roadmap for putting anything into action. When someone is angry, anxious, or otherwise upset to the extent that someone feels they should tell them to calm down, then by definition the person's alarm bells are ringing and they can't just quickly turn them off because someone says so. And that's a great point. Uh, when you look at the response of anger and emotion in people, especially in service situations, it takes a few moments for them to get back to reality. It takes a few moments for them to actually calm down. And when we think about some of our situations with patrons, we expect them to sort of flip the switch and go from being out loud, irrational, lang you know, uh, bad language, um, um, inappropriate, emotional, rageful, th threatening even, back to zero. And it doesn't work that way in most human beings where they can get that kind of control. And for some people who have not had a good experience in their life when it comes to controlling their anger, uh, they think with the primitive brain, the little brain, the, what's called the amygdala hijack, uh, their emotions take over. If they've been doing this for a long time, it, it may take several hours for them to come back down to what would be a reasonable pulse rate, a reasonable blood pressure for you and I. One of the other points Dr. Bonnier makes in her piece is that when we are loud and emotional in response by saying calm down to somebody, it just adds fuel to the fire of what she calls escalation, the fuel to the fire of escalation. When we are inappropriate and loud and, and, and dismissive of people, it just adds to the fire because we show that we're out of control. There's something I talk about in my service conversations with employees all the time, which is we are always on display amongst the patrons and through our bosses and coworkers, and you're being watched by people all the time in your response to interactions, positive or negative, in the service experience. Being value judged, appropriately or not, from your perspective, you're being value judged as to what is appropriate response in the situation that you're in, where sometimes we think, well, you know, who's watching this situation? Turns out it could be somebody who's new to the library and wants to see what you're all about. And it could be your boss who happens to be around the, around the corner and watching from a distance. It could be a coworker. So we have a, a kind of a brand ambassadorship that we have to carry on. Our, our approach as professional service providers in the library has to include a, a perspective on how we deal with angry people, how we deal with people, and, and saying calm down doesn't get those kind of high service marks that we want when it comes to managing those types of situations. So she says, the next time you are attempted to tell someone to calm down, pause and take these steps to slow down your own stress response and try out to find some of these other interventions as well. And so she has some phrases here, and I'm going to go through the, her list of phrases, the five things that she said in her piece, which I think are, are very useful. One, she says, start by saying, I understand this is upsetting. The value of this statement, she says, is that it shows immediate empathy. Instead of making the person feel that there is something wrong with them, which risks pushing them away, you're attempting to make a connection. By validating the fact of their distress, you lessen the risk that they'll get more frustrated with you not getting it, which can turn them against you. And so I've used a similar phrase in my training discussion, which is, I can see you're upset. I understand this is upsetting. I can see you're upset. I, I can tell you're mad. Thanks for telling me about what's going on. Thanks for telling me about what happened last time. Uh, that's very helpful for me to know. She says, be wary of making the statement too dismissive of a tone and however, or pairing it with a quick request to move on. And 
and think she says, think of a monotone customer service representative reading off a script if you want to know what to avoid. I've, I've had this happen to me with the cable company, with the credit card company, with the airline company, where they have this sort of read off the script, I'm sorry you're not having a good day, sir, kind of a, kind of a response. And the other part, which I've discussed a lot in training, is some of these things may need to happen more than once. You may need to say some of these things more than once. Why? Because as we know, people are not great listeners. When you think about the listening skills of someone who's really under stress, think of in your own family, your own situations, where you've had to repeat yourself because people are so caught up in the emotions and the frustration of the situation, it just, they don't hear you, it just doesn't work for them. So I understand this is upsetting. I can see you're upset. Thanks for telling me about this. Let's figure out what we can do, all validating statements. Number two for her, it's hard for me to talk to you. It's hard for me to talk with you when things feel intense when things feel this intense. It's hard for me to talk with you when things feel this intense. And I have a variation of that, which is I can't help you if you're going to yell at me. And that's more of a kind of a street language conversation with some people who are just not getting it. Um, I, I can't help you if you can't help me. I can't help you if you're going to shout. I can't, you know, my, my boss won't let me help, help patrons that curse at us. It's as simple as that. I mean, those kinds of variations on the theme. She says, this can be a helpful thing to say when you're, it's a heated argument, you're passing the point at which productive conversation reaches a resolution. The key here is to convey that you still want to talk, but that things feel potentially damaging in their current state. And you're giving this person a potential life raft, right, illuminating the situation for them um, so they can, they can take their um, in frantically intense emotions and more, uh, kind of more of an even keel. So when we look at this kind of an approach, which is I can't help you if you don't Stop shouting, I can't help you if you're, if you're going to curse at me. I can't help you if you're going to be that way. I won't be able to understand you as best I can. There's some variations on that you might be able to say which could be useful. The third tool she provides in her blog piece for Psychology Today, she says, I'm going to pause for a moment to slow things down. That's a great one. Um, I've said something similar, which is I'm going to stop for a minute to catch my breath. I'm going to stop for a minute so you can catch your breath. I'm going to stop for a minute so we can figure out what to do. Uh, it says to the person, I'm going to try to get control of my emotions. And, and we're really going back to an idea that we've talked about a lot, which is modeling. We want to model the kind of appropriate behavior with patrons that we want and expect from them, which is we don't shout if they shout. We don't curse if they curse. We don't lose emotional control if they do. We don't lose professionalism if they're not acting like a rational human being. We keep it together. So this idea, I'm going to pause or I'm going to stop for a minute, as I have said, for, for, to slow things down, says, let's take a cleansing breath, let's take a break here, just a couple seconds. And in my discussions, in my articles and blogs about and podcasts about anger, I've talked a lot about the value of the pause, which is just stopping for a few seconds can do a lot towards slowing down people and the emotions and the momentum that they create. The pause in your own response in anger management says that I'm going to catch up, let my emotions and my my hormones and chemicals and body reactions catch up to the situation that I'm facing in terms of my anger and, and get back to more even keel. So I like this, this process here because it models what we're, we're trying to do with the patron. She says, this phrase can be helpful in a conflict because it has the potential to model relaxation techniques without it feel like an accusation of anything or forcing this person to follow you. Try for a tone that is not condescending and that acknowledges your own role in the conflict. Again, it's not always our fault. Sometimes it's their fault, but we don't use that as a jumping off point. Then really pause, truly pause, she says, whether they follow you or not. 
stretch your body, get some air, do some breathing exercises. Even if they don't follow your lead, at least you know that you'll be better able to manage what's to come and to lead by example. So this is this modeling piece. If you show yourself taking a breath, if you show yourself as using the kind of body language that's sort of calming things down, which is open palms, fingers pointing upward, saying, I get it, right? Not crossing your arms, not rolling your eyes. And be careful with the breath, too. It's easy to go as if you're frustrated in a kind of condescending way, but just take a breath that sort of slows you down and demonstrates to the person this is how we slow down in our world here. The fourth one, she says in her piece, I'm here with you in this. And I say versions of I'm here to help you. It's my job to make sure things are better for you. It's my job to make sure you get the help that you need, whether it's me or somebody else. Um, it's my job to understand you better. And so I want to listen as carefully as I can. And this is when I've talked about taking some notes and bringing out your pad and pen and just saying, tell me about what happened yesterday. Or tell me about, you know, can I get your name? Can I jot down some notes? Can I, can I capture what you're talking about here? Because for some people that demonstrates empathy. Also, it says I'm, I'm paying attention as a, as a professional listener. I'm trying to capture things in a way that may be useful for me to help you figure out what we need to do together. The solution may be in my notes. Also, from my perspective, I'm big on security incident reports. And if we have to document frequent outbursts and things where people are doing, doing uh, behaviors and language that are bad for the library business, we want to be able to capture exactly what was said. The other thing I like about taking notes is it buys you a little bit of time. It slows things down. I talk, you talk, I talk, you talk. There's more of a back and forth when they see you're taking notes. It's an empathy building device. But also it does help you capture things that, that you want to put into an incident report and so you can verify um, that you were there and then kind of the emotions of the situation, you were able to capture the facts, at least as you interpreted them, at least as the person explained them to you about what may have happened to them that, that brought upon this whole episode. So. I'm here with you in this. I'm here with you on this situation. I'm here to help you. It's my job to get more information and, and make sure that we can provide a good solution for you if it's possible. Not everything is solvable. And sometimes people who are irrational due to mental illness or drug and alcohol use or some other anger things where they're just out of control will ask you for things that you can't do. I want this person fired. I want this to happen. I want this person kicked out of the library. I demand to speak to the, to the mayor. I mean, stuff like that just may not be possible at that moment in time. So you have to have a realistic expectation or help them have a realistic expectation. You have to be realistic in your expectations about what you can do, and you have to be realistic in helping them figure out what, what you can do as well. She says here for this one for number four, this is especially helpful in situations where people's, quote, big feelings, unquote, are getting the best of them. That's a great phrase. Whether a child having a tantrum or an adult losing their cool over something that just feels like it's too much to handle, for most human beings, it is profoundly comforting to know that you are not alone and that you have someone to bear witness to you, you being upset. And that's a great phrase, which is, which is kind of going back to what we talked about, I hear you, right? And we think about, you know, the, the, first, the first phrase she says, I understand this is upsetting. Um, you know, I, I hear you. And these are variations of the theme, which, which I think are useful in these situations, how you talk to people. She says, so often when someone is upset, we want to know the perfect thing to say, but equally important is how we listen and simply stay emotionally present for the person and with the person. And, and that goes back to just the complexities of human interaction, which is what, sometimes we say the wrong things, in which case we, we should apologize. I try to apologize when I've hurt somebody's feelings inadvertently and don't know it until they point it out. I try to apologize in situations where I may not have said the same, you know, the, uh, the, what this person wants to hear 
And I've tried to repeat it back to them using paraphrasing so I can capture kind of the same themes that they're talking about. Um, I apologize sometimes even when that's not our fault. I'm sorry that happened to you yesterday. That demonstrates empathy even though you weren't working at the time. And, and maybe it's nothing to do with what you or your colleagues or your boss did. It's the person's mistake, but sometimes they just don't own it. When we look at, at this idea of wanting to help people, again, I go back to the need sometimes for repetition. And sometimes when you think about talking to somebody, you say, well, have you tried this? Have you tried that? They just don't hear it. They're angry and their, their little brain is, is occupying their head. Their ears have shut off. Their mouth is open and they're, they're not thinking and talking. They're just talking and sometimes on a loud tone. So you may have to say things in a repeated way more than once just to get them to understand what you're talking about. And, and sometimes you have to ask more questions designed to get them to, to feed back to you that they've heard you. Do you get what I'm saying when, you, when, I, when I ask you about what happened yesterday? Can you tell me more about the situation? I, I'm looking specifically for what happened at 3 o'clock when you got here. Can you tell me about that? Where you're giving them more specific details, more specific questions, more specific open-ended questions to get a sense of the situation. Sometimes they're just mad in general. And they're just frustrated. And, I, and you know, we, we definitely work with people who use anger as a currency, as a commodity for them. They're angry in a way that, that you can tell by their body language as soon as you come to them, as soon as they walk in the facility. And it's not you. It's what they do at the bank and at the restaurant and, and on the telephone and face-to-face and -face with people. It's just how their affect is. But there are also people that are quite nice and genial and, and kind, and they just get their buttons pushed, and they just get to that last straw with the camel's back kind of a perspective where they just explode. And, you know, there's a long conversation that we could have in the world today, and I've had this discussion with, with uh, my, my webinar host, Dr. Gina Simmons, about all the things that people are carrying around in the world with them today, whether it's, it's COVID or death in their family or financial issues or, or marital problems or children problems or health or or you know, financial situations, legal issues, all the things that people carry around we don't often know. And sometimes they just come in and unload on people. And, and sometimes they feel quite bad about it. And sometimes they feel embarrassed about it. And it's not our job to psychoanalyze them. It's not our job to point these things out in a way that continues the embarrassment. It is our job to help them manage their emotional response to something by being as professional and service-oriented and as appropriate as possible. The last one for number five for her tips, Dr. Bonnier talks about how can I help us move through this? It's a great phrase. How can I help us move through this? Meaning we're working collectively, we're working collaboratively, even though they don't feel like it at the time, perhaps they feel like you're the enemy. We're working as, as cooperatively as we can with this person. She says very often the idea of saying calm down holds appeal because it gives us a sense of moving forward. Of course, this is likely a false sense because it's what we want most in that moment right, the assurance that we can get through whatever is happening and to solve it preferably quickly. So although, although calm down won't be likely to do the trick in that regard, you can still think about moving towards a solution if that's what it feels like is most pressing. And if it feels too upsetting to simply sit with a person in their distress, right, by offering your help, you once again are going for a spirit of connection rather than just ac accusation or separation. Just make sure you speak it with an extra dose of patience so the person feel, doesn't feel like that the clock is ticking loudly in their ear, which will likely agitate them even more. How can I help us move through this situation? How can I help you move through this situation? Lots of variations of this. How can I help us come up with a solution? How can I help you uh, get what you need from, from the library today? What's the best thing for you that, that gets you, gets you um, happy with the service here? Lots of variations that you can say. 
when you think about it, what you're trying to say is let's get some closure. Let's start to to get some help at the boundaries and the edges of this conversation so the person doesn't have to continue their outburst, doesn't have to continue getting louder. One of the things I try to say to people who are upset is when I say I can see you're upset, what I'm trying to say to them internally and, and you know, into their into their the part that's making them the most angry is I get it. You don't have to escalate your behavior louder. You don't have to turn up the, the jets, turn up the juice, turn up the volume even louder. I get that you're upset. When I think about that kind of a closure piece, how can I help us move through this? How can I help you? What are the what are the best solutions for us to get to get this this situation solved? It may be things that you're not able to do without permission. It may be things that you have to get your boss to to sign off on. It may be back to a concept I talk all about in our discussions and training, which is alignment. Maybe there's a better colleague, a better supervisor, boss, manager in place that could help you in the situation, get to this person and, and connect with them better despite your best efforts than, than you can. When I look at, at problem solving in these situations, it's not always a perfect answer. And sometimes, you know, they go away upset. And I've always said in our service discussions that I, that I think sometimes the best we can do with a patron is that they go away, comma, relatively satisfied, comma, that we did the best we could for them. We're not always going to be able to problem solve perfectly. We're not always going to be able to solve every situation to their satisfaction where they get justice, quote unquote, for what happened to them yesterday or what happened to their kids or something like that. What we're about is trying our best in the time and situation and and. and and the space that we have, and, and knowing that you can't spend two hours talking with somebody. I get it. You've got to do other parts of your job. You've got to go help other patrons. But in the time that you're with somebody who's upset, and you use some of these tools that Dr. Bonnier has talked about skillfully, and you use some of these phrases in lieu of the, the conversation killer, the one that just pushes people's buttons, the calm down phrase, when we do those things in a way that's service-oriented and, and treats the person with dignity, even though they're acting irrationally and obnoxiously or impolitely, we're doing the right thing on our behalf as a service provider. When I look at anger in people, it is so complex. It is oftentimes based on, on primitive emotions and, and hormones and chemicals that go racing through our body when we feel that fight-or-flight modality. It goes back to frustrations that may have started several years ago, and, and this person is blowing their top. It may be a, a, a personality quirk or an eccentricity that they have where they just cannot control their behavior in public when it comes to getting frustrated. And these folks have problems with road rage, and they have problems with, with waiting in line, and they have problems with patience, and they have problems with, with empathy, and they have problems with seeing other people's role and response in their world, and they kind of trample over and steamroll over people. Uh, this bull in a china closet kind of perspective, which is my way, the highway, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna trample on other people's feelings over the phone, face-to-face, -face, or in social situations, is not useful for them. Again, we're here to look at what you can do in the shortest period of time possible, not being dismissive or, or not being condescending, but being able to demonstrate quickly and professionally and assertively the empathy that's necessary in these situations to get control of your own emotions, because it's easy to get our buttons pushed as well, and to help as best as we can, as skillfully as we can, to get the patron's emotional response back under control. Now, what's your reward for all this? Sometimes they may say, I feel better, thanks for letting me vent, or I apologize. Sometimes it may say, I wish I hadn't said that, I apologize for that, I didn't really mean that, 
I didn't mean to take it out on you. I'm having a rough day. That's what emo emotionally mature people say. That's what reasonable people say when they lose their, their cool. Unfortunately, we don't always deal with emotionally calm and mature people. We deal with people who uh, don't have those characteristics and can continue to be angry even if we've done our best. Um, I look at the service interaction sometimes with people and you say, you've done your best. They don't thank you for the two hours of work that you did. They don't thank you for solving the problem. That's okay. We take our reward with, from each other. We take our reward from our, our bosses. We take our praise from ourselves. We take self-sufficiency and self-praise saying, I know I did a good job. But I think you have to look at people sometimes and say, do they have the emotional maturity and the ability and the kindness in their hearts to thank you for what you've done or apologize them when they've been uh, clearly obnoxious or inappropriate or not? Um, I don't think you ought to wait for it. I think you give them praise and support and thanks when they do it. No problem. I, you know, I, I knew that's not the real you. I, I knew you are just having a moment there. I, I know that you're probably having a rough day, and, and I get it. We all have that same thing. I appreciate you apologizing. I mean, go back to using praise to coach people up in those situations where we want them to know that we are assertive professionals. We're also empathic professionals. We're not going to be railroaded or steamrolled or, or threatened or or verbally assaulted. And so when people do the right thing on our behalf and on the right thing on the library's behalf, meaning that they're appropriate inside the library professional environment, that we give them praise and we tell them thanks for, for what they have done. If you get that opportunity, use that and, and be part of their understanding that, that their change in behavior in a positive way will get them support and praise from you. And they're continuing to be emotionally out of control and emotionally irrational and rageful and hurtful and threatening is not going to be a response that you're going to match toe-to-toe, blow-to-blow. You're going to be as appropriate and professional as possible. So I always have the expectation that, that with some people, they will catch themselves at some point and apologize. And even if they don't, you may be able to see that they've physically reset their body language and you can feel like they've done a kind of an internal breath that they've, they've, they've caught themselves and they've actually come down a couple of notches. That's why I think the pause is so effective for both sides, especially for us. Someone says something angry or, or you know, inappropriate or provocative and it's designed to push your buttons. You don't respond immediately. You just take a one or two second pause. You go, oh. Okay, uh, that's interesting. Why did you say that? Or some of the other tools that we've talked about or Dr. Bonier's talked about in terms of using for that situation. Instead of going back to that sort of primitive, oh, yeah, you know, kind of an approach that we all seem to feel sometimes when people push our, our buttons and our own anger comes up. So in a perfect world, you'd get a sense of shift or change or compliance in this person's behavior and attitude and interaction with you, in which case we give them praise. In an imperfect world, we do the best we can with them and the time and space that we are, are there, recognizing the fact that we may or may not have an impact on them at that time. But you may be the bright light. You may be the shining moment that captured a better response than what they were thinking they were going to get. Maybe they thought you were going to yell at them as well or, or argue with them as well or, or, or push their buttons even more, and you didn't do those things. You were professional and appropriate, and they leave the library situation feeling like that, that they were heard and feeling like that their, their issues and sagas and problems and concerns were listened to and you did the best you could in terms of handling them. 
So um, thanks for listening. My thanks to the producer of the Library Service Safety and Security Podcast, Steve Hargadon. For more information, visit the Library 2.0 website at library20.com. Uh, as a reminder, I do uh, at least once a month, we do a webinar, paid webinar, uh, where we bring in either me talking about a certain library service, safety or security subject, sometimes management stuff, sometimes staffer stuff, sometimes safety, security, and service things, uh, or we're bringing a subject matter expert. I also do at least two podcasts, if I can, per month for Library 2.0, and also two, pod, uh, two um, blogs per month at the Library 2.0 site. If there are topics you want me to cover in either the blog or the podcast, drop a note to Steve Hargadon at Library 2.0, and he will gladly get those over to me. So until next time, I'm Dr. Steve Albrecht. Thanks for listening to the Library Service, Safety, and Security podcast. <laughs>